1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Welcome Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement. I just got out the plane and just walked into my studio uh, coming home from Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, I want to say hi to all the, the, the folks out there, the good folks that invited me at, at, at the parish mission. Today we want to continue talking about a topic that seems to be, uh, there's a lot of ping pong going on in the Catholic world. There's a lot of, uh, seems to be uh, uh, people, when it comes to Harry Potter and when it comes to yoga, I think, uh, Kyle, those are the two topics that trigger a lot of people. Uh, and that's what we want to talk about today. But before um, I ask Kyle some probing questions, I just want people to hear J.K. Rowling's in her own words because she's given a lot of interviews. And so I think we should be fair and just listen to her in her own words and see what she has to say about the reason, the motive the motive behind uh, writing the Harry Potter books. She was interviewed by Empire News. And this statement is, is on her official website. This is on J.K. Rowling's official website. Here's what it says. So I want to share this. She says, quote, It's been so many years and the built-up guilt has been like a rainy cloud following me everywhere I go. When I write, when I sleep, when I practice magic... Okay, so I have that underlined. When I practice magic, J.K. Rowling admits she practices magic. When I go to the bank to deposit my billion-dollar Harry Potter checks, my secret was like Horcrux. I guess that's a, a character in her book. And now I've destroyed it so my soul can be whole again for the witches. So I underlined it. J.K. Rowling says, so my soul can be whole again for the witches. J.K. Rowling wrote this, the following. is She says, It's about time that I tell the world I am a strong supporter of Wicca. I truly believe in its benefits as a religion. I wrote Harry Potter to please the mother goddess. They needed new followers and they needed young followers. I wrote the series to manipulate young minds into believing witchcraft was real and it worked. Okay? So that's from her own words. That's J.K. Rowling's on her official website. She admits four things in this statement. She says, I practice magic. She says, um, uh, my soul can be whole again for witches. Uh, she says, I'm a strong supporter of Wicca. She says, I did this to please Mother Goddess. Uh, they wrote the Harry Potter books to read Mother Goddess. And she says, I also wrote the Harry Potter books to manipulate young minds into believing witchcraft is real. And then she was also interviewed by the BBC in 2019. The BBC uh, asked her, they said, uh, J.K. Rowling, you get some flack in the States. I think people say it's satanic. Here's what J.K. Rowling said, December 25th, 2019. She says, well, it is, John. It is satanic. 
I and and I think that now is the night to say it. Thank you for enabling me to say that at last. It is a great relief and liberation. I have to say, I have a PR person here with me tonight. She's sitting with her head in her hands at the moment, close quote. So J.K. Rowling's admitted in 2019 that she was being asked by about her being the author of the eight Harry Potter books. And uh, she says, well, some people say it's satanic. She says, yep, it is. She says, I'm thank you for giving me the form to say it tonight. Um, also, she was interviewed by Oprah Winfrey. And uh, 15 minutes into the in- interview, uh, J.K. Rowling's told Oprah the following quote, in religion, you're looking for outside support. While the appeal to magic, we ourselves have power and we can shape our world. So to me, it sounds like she's telling her audience, especially children, that they don't need God. Don't look to outside support. Just look to the power within you through magic. Um, Kyle, those are those are three pretty clear statements in a court of law that would basically uh, sustain a guilty verdict that, yeah, she's an occultist and she's promoting the occult through her books. And yet you still have naysayers in the Catholic Church. What say you, Kyle? Uh, you did a great job laying that out, Jesse. Um, and you're precisely right. I think there's a principle. Number one, I'd like to to state a principle with regard to the diabolical. It's a universal principle. There are rules of engagement. There are things which have to be followed. And this is providence. This is God. This is creator. Um, this is creator enforcing rules on creatures. Very simple. And that is, they have to tell you what they're doing. Very simple. They have to tell you, the demon, they have to tell you what they're doing, what they're going to do. And often that's done in parody. It's done in literature. It's done in various things. It was done uh, in the science fiction genre. It has been done in many ways. But this is one of the things that is, uh, is a universal principle is that God tells the fallen, and this is God, goes all the way back to the patristics, the demon has to tell us what he's going to do. Mm. When you start applying that, then you start seeing what the whole purpose of Hollywood, the whole purpose of Disney, the whole purpose of a lot of these things is to fulfill that requirement, but to be done in a parody, parody or a semi-believable uh, way so that we dismiss it. You just said, and I'm, to demonstrate my point, you just quoted her in multiple venues, adhering to this principle, saying exactly what she did, why she did it, and you will still have people, Harry Potter apologists, J.K. Rowling apologists, who will tell you, oh, she didn't mean it, or that she was speaking metaphorically, or that she was speaking figuratively, you will even have people who are making a living as a, quote, Catholic apologist who will defend this genre, this literature, and it, in, in direct opposition to what you're saying she said. Uh, by our own statements is the truth revealed. This is a, an example of that principal foundational statement they have to tell you what they're doing now watch and see if i'm i'm not mystical or anything else but the pattern is they will now discount 
her statements because it doesn't fit their agenda. Mm. You know, Kyle, there's a, there's a statement that our Lord Jesus Christ makes in Scripture. He says, by their fruits, you will know them. By their fruits. The Harry Potter books, there's a spin-off of these Harry Potter books <clears throat> that are being sold on, of course, you know, some of the big, you know, Amazon and some of the other big, big name companies. The book, this book is called uh, The Unofficial Ultimate Harry Potter Spellbook. So the Harry Potter Spellbook, I'm reading from Amazon, it says, is a beautiful, elegantly designed reference that details all of the known spells cast in the Harry Potter films, books, video games, and card games, as well as official Harry Potter spinoffs, such as Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. There are 240 spells in all, along with a catalog of enchanted objects. We would call them cursed objects. Each spell is given its own entry, including spelling name, pronunciation, and etymology. A description of the spell effect, spell casting methods, wand movements and vocalizations, and primary sources in which the spell was used. Readers will also find trivia related to each spell, such as who it was used against, what the outcome was, or what a spell's unusual history might be. With an introduction on spell casting and a guide to wand, wand woods and cores, the unofficial Harry Potter spellbook is a must-have magical treasure for any Harry Potter fan's library. So, the fruits of the Harry Potter's book has given us now a new book, Kyle. It's a spell book. And Amazon is pretty complete, and they tell us what that book complain, con contains. 240 spells along with enchanted objects. Once again, by their fruits you will know them. The Holy Bible has not given us a spell book or a book of incantations or hexes because the Holy Bible is God's word. Uh, but the, Harry, the eight Harry Potter books have now given us a new spell book. Uh, and again, this is, this is selling like crazy as well. All the major retailers are selling this book. Kyle, what, what, what do you have to say about that? I, I, it's a very poignant observation, but the Holy Bible has given us a bunch of stuff. And so let's look at what this is really aping. So sacred scripture, remember, is the second in a progression of three institutions. First is tradition. The tradition that is built up around Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And there is a tradition that is built up around Lucifer, the false architect of the universe, the fallen angel. And so there is a, a cult, a tradition that is built up around Satan, around Lucifer, around those that are opposed to God. And then there is the sacred scripture, which chronicles um, the messianic prophecy, the fulfillment of it through Christ. And so there are many, there is a satanic Bible. It's an aping of the scripture. And then comes magisterium, or the formalization of tradition and scripture into codified religion, the church, the Catholic church. Kyle, hold that thought. Hold that thought, my friend. You're listening to Wednesday War College. We're talking about the merits or demerits of the Harry Potter book. Stick around. We'll be right back. We have a lot to say.
Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, we're talking about the merits or demerits of the Harry Potter books. And, and Kyle, you had a, a pretty important point that you were making right before the break. Can you continue? Sure. And so the Catholic faith comes forward as magisterial statements as the third institution in that progression of tradition, sacred scripture. And remember that sacred scripture as much as a pro- is a product of, of tradition and, and the magisterium. It is the church that promulgates the canon that um, provides the and ensures the integrity of the scripture itself. And so the statement that you were making is exactly right, is that there is what they're doing is aping. And so when you say they've got this book of malefices, and that's exactly what it is, it's a book of malefice. A malefice or a curse is opposite a blessing. What do we have? We have the Enchideron of Indulgences. We have the Recolta. We have countless books of devotion. We have all my Catholic faith. We have book of blessings. We have books of rites and rituals. That's what we have. Everything they have is a counterfeit of that. That's a very, very good point. And, uh, you know, just speaking about the, the scripture itself, uh, that, you know, the, the Holy Bible is, is the premier book. It's the bedrock of, of, uh, of Western canonical literature. In fact, I, I would argue that, uh, well, I know this for a fact, since the invention of the printing press right around 1439, uh, the first book that was published was mass produced was the Holy Bible, the Catholic Holy Bible, and uh, from uh, from that corpus, from that body of work, from that book, uh, we have all the major all the major texts in Western civilization from some of the great authors like Shakespeare, like Milton, like Dante, like uh, like Chaucer, uh, like uh, Tolkien, uh, T. S. Eliot, Flannery O'Connor. Edgar Allan Poe, all of them talk, these are these these fundamental authors of Western civilization, they took, they depended on that one book, the Holy Bible. That was the corpus for, for all this linguistic production that we see in the West today, Kyle. So the Bible has borne nothing but good fruit. Well, you're precisely right. And so it's either a continuation or a departure. And I think that's a really important thing that is lost, especially in the genre of uh, apologetics. Anytime that somebody starts to defend, then first of all, there has to be a clear understanding of what it is you're defending. There has to be a clear, deep and abiding knowledge of it, not a, not a book knowledge, but as uh, Archbishop Martinez says in the Sanctifier, this has to be an experiential knowledge. Uh, Father Lahodi um, in the ways of mental one after another after another says there has to be you have to be able to uh, defend and so I think that one of the classic understandings of defense this is war college and so from a warrior standpoint is what makes a warrior effective what makes him righteous is he fights for love of what is behind him not for hatred of what is in front of him. Yes. Yes. Quoting G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Kyle, oh. let, me, let, me, let, me, let me quote to you some giants, and I want to get your feedback, because, again, a lay Catholic is a soldier of Christ. A Catholic priest is an officer. Okay, so they're of a higher rank. 
And now a Catholic bishop would be like a general. And so I, as a lay Catholic, I know my place. And so when officers in our church start speaking about Harry Potter, for example, Father Donald Calloway speaks against the Harry Potter books. Father David Nix speaks about the, negatively about the Harry Potter books, the way it affects children. Father Jim Costigan, Fathers of Mercy, says the Harry Potter books corrupt children. Father LeVince Lampert, Exorcist, speaks about the dangers of the Harry Potter books. Father Dan Rehill, exorcist from Nashville, Tennessee, also believes the Harry Potter books are dangerous. Father Pedro Mendoza, exorcist from Mexico, uh, also says the popular Harry Potter books allows the devil to enter into children's minds, does a lot of damage. These are officers in the Catholic Church. These are priests. Father Gabriel Amorth had a lot to say about the Harry Potter books. He said, Behind the Harry Potter hides the signature of the king of darkness, the devil. Uh, He also called it, the the Harry Potter books, he called it satanic art. Father Amorth said that. So he's also, he also says by reading a Harry Potter, Harry Potter, a young child will be drawn into magic. And from there, it is a simple step to Satanism and the devil. You first start off with Harry Potter, who comes across like a likable wizard but you end up with the devil. There's no doubt that the signature of the Prince of Darkness is clearly within these books. So I I just quoted eight officers and Father Chad Ripper, I could quote him number nine. There are nine officers in the Catholic Church, but these are priests that are warning us about the dangers of the Harry Potter books. Now let me go to a general, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who later became Pope. He's a general. So he's of a higher rank than a soldier. Lay people are soldiers. Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, he gave a condemnation of the Harry Potter books because he was asked, he was asked by a German writer, it was actually a, a German critic named Gabriel Kuby. He, he, was, he was a man, uh, uh, he was a, a, a German writer who was criticizing Harry Potter books, and so he wrote to the Pope and the Pope wrote back to him. He wrote to K- Gabriel Kuby and said this, quote, it is good that you're enlightening people about Harry Potter because those are subtle seductions which act unnoticed and by this deeply distort Christianity in the soul before it can grow properly. So that's a general in the Catholic Church speaking negatively about the, the effects of Harry Potter books. I, as a lay Catholic, uh, I know my place, Kyle, once you got nine priests and half of them being exorcists, and you've got a cardinal who became pope, who's the most, uh, who's the most uh, educated pope we've ever had sit in the, as a bishop of Rome, when you have that type of weight speaking about the dangers of the Harry Potter book, I, as the lay Catholic, I'm going to acquiesce and shut my mouth. What say you? Well, you're precisely right, Jesse. The thing is, is, is at some point, and, and Pope Leo Thirteenth wrote about this, um, in several of his uh, encyclicals and directives, he said, when a question is settled for a Catholic, it's settled. Um, For instance, the question of reincarnation is a settled question for a Catholic. And so it's not that there's going to be new evidence or that there's a reason to re-examine this. This is a settled question, definitively settled. And so this is a settled area. And so what happens is, especially among converts from Protestantism, uh, the rebellious psyche enters the Catholic Church, 
and nothing stays settled. And so as long as they can create, be some type of fomenter of discord, of discourse, then we're not moving forward in the pursuit of sanctity. We're replowing old ground. And, and it's once it's definitively settled, it's settled and one has to yield to that finding. Uh, it's consistent with the deposit of faith. It's consistent with the sensum fidei. And we have a leader that has spoken on this subject, and he has said, this is definitively settled. So this is the yielding that, um, that, that is absent in the modern relativist Catholic is the assent to uh, direction of a superior, recognition of a superior. I think that's one of the things is you so clearly lay out is um, the priestly class is superior to the lay class in the hierarchy of the church. Now, the one caveat is, with regard to authority, is if it is against morals and doctrine, then one must resist, because it's a misuse of authority. But we don't have that here. It's well within their authority, and what they're finding and what they're directing is consistent with tradition. It is consistent with, even with... um, Scripture, especially where there is a strict prohibition against divination, and this is a, a lot of the Potter stuff advocates divination, it, and that's not a by degree. That is, it's a mortal sin by the its occurrence. It's like saying uh, you're either pregnant or you're not. No one dabbles in pregnancy. We use the word dabble to to um, reduce culpability. But divination and a participation in divination is mo- is a mortal sin de facto, just like missing mass. Yes, yes. I, I think what's really happened, Kyle, is that as Americans, we're, we're like the proverbial frog. As Catholics in here in America, we're like the proverbial frog slowly being boiled in water. Uh, I, I think a lot of Catholics have lost their ability to discern what's clean from unclean. And, and that's what that's what the Lord said to Aaron back in Leviticus chapter 10, verse, verse 10. He said, you must be able to distinguish between what is sacred and what is profane and between what is clean and what is unclean. God told Aaron to tell the Israelites. And uh, by extension, uh, I think the same thing is happening today in the Catholic Church. I think a lot of Catholics cannot distinguish from what is sacred, from the profane. They cannot distinguish the clean from the unclean. God warned us. And I see that same spirit in today's modern Catholic Church, Kyle. Uh, it's very, yes, I think it's very astute. I think it's very accurate. And it also goes to a central uh, universal theme. Again, when we talk about these universal themes, the first charge of a man, the first masculine obligation is the ability to tell clean from unclean. This is the masculine priesthood. He who would make sacrifice. And so it is up to the man to say what comes into the home, what doesn't come into the home. Is it clean? Is it unclean? Is it consistent with the declaration as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord? And it's an extremely important point. The other point is that we as men, we're going to pay that price um, because we have souls placed in our care. And then when we assume a role, such as an apologetics role, even, you know, on a a national or an international platform where we're supposed to give answers or advice that is consistent with the Catholic faith, 
these are millstone moments. If you want to participate in the priesthood, then this is a very tough participation in the domestic priesthood. Because if you lead any souls astray, you're going to answer for them. This is that millstone moment. And so many people engage in apologetics and discourse casually, almost cavalierly, especially those who come from a Protestant background or a Protestant background where it's all just debate for the sake of debate. Your words have weight, even though you may not have weight, your words in the um, position you've assumed have weight and you will be responsible for those words. You know, uh, Kyle, yeah. Well, we're going to go to a quick break right now. You're listening to Wednesday War College. Just remember, Kyle Clement, we're talking about the merits or demerits of the Harry Potter book. More more like the demerits. Uh, once again, uh, as Catholics, I, I want to just probe into, on the next topic, uh, an, an area of, of uh, reading books out of studiosity or curiosity. I want to get into that. We'll be right back. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement. Now, full disclosure, I've never read the Harry Potter books. But I don't need to read the Harry Potter books to weigh in on them. I've never used heroin. I've never used LSD. I've never used coke. I've never killed somebody. I've never robbed a person. I don't have to do these things to know that they're wrong, that they're immoral and dangerous. Common sense and natural law and the census fidelian tells me that these things are wrong. So by way of analogy... I don't have to read the Harry Potter books to know that this is impious literature. I just have to read other people who have read them and their comments and the fruits of these books. Uh, the Catholic Church calls us to stay, at least pre-1965, the Catholic Church would call us to stay away from impious reading, impious reading, which is dangerous to the soul. I believe that the Harry Potter books are the perfect example of impious reading. Uh, I mean, go ahead and let the secular humanists promote impious reading. But Catholics, we should be taking the moral high ground and not compromise our gospel principles by marketing, selling, or reading reading the, the, this, these myths which, which extol witchcraft and sorcery. Uh, I know of some Catholic schools, probably a whole lot of them, that carry the Harry Potter books in the libraries. To me, that's scandalous. There's so many good Catholic authors out there, again, like I was saying, Dante, Flannery O'Connor, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, Mark Twain, C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, uh, you know, Shakespeare, Chaucer, Milton. There's so many good authors out there uh, that, you know, in, in the Western canon of literature that supports our Catholic faith. And so uh, those are the, the, the classical literature that our children should be reading, not promoting the controversial Harry Potter series. Okay, so now, Kyle, here's a question. What if a Catholic wants to read Let's just say, for example, he wants to prepare for a radio show like myself and say, you know what? I wanted to do kind of a do a deep dive. So I want to read this book out of studiosity, not out of curiosity. And let's say, uh, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a rosary right before I do this. I'm going to go to mass in the morning. I'm going to wear my sacramentals around my neck. Then I'm going to read a few chapters so I can do a real deep dive on the, uh, on the demerits of the Harry Potter book. That would be reading a book out of studiosity. But the problem is... 
and uh, too many Catholics read books like this out of curiosity, which basically that's what got our first parent even trouble. It, it was uh, it was she was curious to know why she was not able to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so uh, and so she listened to this talking snake. So can you kind of explain the difference between studying? Because I know St. Thomas Aquinas talks about uh, studiosity uh, versus curiosity and that there's there's a difference like vice and like vice and virtue. So. Again, let's say you're preparing for a debate, Kyle, for example, and you have to do some research on a Harry Potter book. I'm just throwing a hypothetical. Uh, you would be reading the book, or I would be reading the book out of studiosity, not curiosity. What is the difference between both of those? Okay, so it's a great topic. So first of all, uh, studiosity is a virtue, and the it has three parts. And so the studiosity, the part that we're, we often omit is under the direction of a superior. So in your analogy, when you say, uh, I'm preparing for this radio show and I'm going to read this, um, you're not under the direction of a superior. And so what, that, what does that look like? So quite often, when we're asked to investigate things or to, to I'm asked to do things, I will ask Father. Uh, Ripperger, who is my direct superior, I will say, what are my boundaries on this? Uh, number one, do you want me to pursue this? Do you want me to investigate this? If you do, to what extent, um, what are my boundaries? Uh, what do you want me to do? So that I'm, every one of us has a superior, doesn't matter who it is. Got it. The Pope himself has a superior. His name is Jesus Christ. The, the, the point being is that, um, so you would ask, and so uh, let me ask you a question. If, if um, let's say you are doing a, um, a piece on uh, pornography, you would go to your spiritual director and say, Father, I'm going to do this um, piece on pornography and um, its effects. Should I look at pornography? What's he going to tell you? Uh, I think a good priest would probably say no. Because that's it's not You're necessary. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not necessary to look at pornography to know that it's immoral. So I, I think uh, you can just look at the definition of pornography in dictionary.com and you could know that it goes against uh, Catholic moral principles. Now you've just yeah exactly Jesse. So this comes to the second point of studiosity is it has to conform to moral principles. You cannot engage in an immoral act under the under the um, under what's called false obedience or for the purpose of studiosity. You can't take LSD just so you'll know what it's like. That is, um, <laughs> that's transgressing moral principles. And so that's number two in studiosity is that it can't tra transgress moral principles. Got it. Got it. And, and uh, I, I think also, a lot of people, again, that were just a lot of low-information Catholics, a lot of low-information Americans, I think they read books like this because they're not curious about God. They're curious about the creature. They're curious about the phenomena. They're, they're fixated on the phenomena of witchcraft, sorcery, spells. They're not fixated on You're, God. They're, they're, they're not trying to find God. They're, tr they're curious about what the demons can do. And that is for, that is the third point, Jesse. It's almost as if we rehearsed this last five and minutes we, and, and we, we and did we not. But that is we did not. No, 
And that is the third point is it has to serve the good, meaning lead the soul toward God. All aspects of studiosity, all virtues, since studiosity is a virtue, then it has to lead the soul toward God. Got it. Hey, well, that makes sense. Uh, it's uh, again. So people don't people don't necessarily. Uh, well, I would just say that the average person, they're not even morally equipped or intellectually equipped or 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 within their interior life to be reading a lot of this occult literature, a lot of this literature that promotes the 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 the, the dark arts, because again. Uh, if you're not in a state of grace, you don't even have intellectual, uh, the, the intellectual firepower to, to be reading this and, and parsing what's right, what's wrong, what's, uh, what's good, what's evil, what's clean, what's unclean. And so uh, a person reading this book that's an objective mortal sin, doesn't go to mass, doesn't have a prayer life. This is going to be this. The demon is going to use this curiosity as bait to take the person deeper and deeper into, into, into curiosity, into evil. Uh, and it's going to take you down a rabbit hole. Am I right, Kyle? You're exactly right, Jesse. You're precisely right. There are three additional points to be made uh, in this area. I think that, that bear discussion, but you're exactly right with regard to going down the rabbit hole. Um, if we simply change the way we ask the question, you're going to be surprised at the number of questions you don't ask. And, and for instance, um, we always say when we want to do something, we will go to the priest generally after mass, he's shaking hands at the end of the mass. We're all leaving. He's got, you, you know, you got him pinned for like 10 seconds and you say, father, is it good? Uh, is it bad? If, and then you ask the question. How different would it be if we had to say, Father, is it good if? Father, is it bad if I go to this soccer game on Sunday? That's a lot different question than saying, Father, is it good if I go to this soccer game on Sunday? Hmm. Yeah, that's the way you ask the question. Yep. Yeah. Because the way we ask the question is the way we have it in our mind. Got it. So what they'll tell you is there's... There's nothing bad about the Potter literature. They won't tell you there's anything good about it other than some type of offhanded, well, at least the kids are reading, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're defending something based on it's not bad for you, then you can't even start to make the argument, is it good for you? Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Uh, and, and once again, Kyle, that's why... Uh, Father Ripperger and Liber Christo, that's why you guys use this method when you guys are helping an energumen, somebody who's diabolically afflicted. And as you guys are helping them, you guys, uh, you know, use, uh, have them engage in sensory deprivation for, you know, like, you know, you know, a period of time, no media, no phone, no internet, no computer before they start the rite of exorcism. And there's a reason why, why you want to start having, uh, getting a, a person, uh, you know, into engage in sensory deprivation because all the garbage that they've been reading, all the bad movies that they've been looking at, all the bad stuff they've been seeing on the internet, uh, it, it it just it just gives a demon something to uh, to use against a person like that, like stock footage to use against them, right? 
It's absolutely right, Jesse. There's an, the other consideration, no less important, uh, no more important either. But the other consideration is the demon is depo- is dependent upon emotional response. He is absolutely dependent upon emotional response. He wants to confuse emotional consolation with spiritual consolation. Um, and once he can do that, or once he begins to find psychological compatibility there, it's much more difficult the the human psychology and the diabolical psychology become enmeshed. And it's hard. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I've heard you talk about that before. And, and boy, oh boy, I've seen that. You're listening to Wednesday War Call with Jess Romero, Kyle Clement. We're talking about uh, the merits or the demerits of the Harry Potter books. Uh, it's much more demerits, obviously. About the only thing you can say is, well, at least it gets kids to reading. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, that's not uh, that's not enough to 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 want me to buy all eight books for my grandkids. Uh, you know, Saint Joan of Arc once once stated, "All the battles are first won or lost in the mind. All battles are won or lost first in the mind." Saint John Vianney says, "We must watch over our mind, our hearts, and our senses, for these are the gates by which the devil enters in." And let's just be honest: the eyes being the window to the soul, this is how most people get in trouble. Of the five senses, this is how most people get in trouble. So uh, on the next segment, I want to talk a little bit about custody of the intellect, Kyle. I want to talk about, ask you about custody of the intellect in reference to uh, occult literature. We'll be right back. Wednesday War College. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, uh, Two Soldiers for Christ. I started off the show quoting J.K. Rowling's in her own words and her own admissions about why she wrote the Harry Potter books. So you can listen to the first segment if you want. I also quoted at least a dozen Catholic priests, half of them being exorcists, along with a cardinal who later became a pope, uh, who, had, who had damning things to say about the Harry Potter books. Uh, and now we're talking about, uh, we're, we're talking about uh, the, the fact that so many Catholics have lost the ability to discern the clean from the unclean. There's a principle when we as Catholics read something or watch a movie, there's a principle that's kind of important here. If, uh, if you want to promote a life of virtue. It's in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. It says this, Finally, brethren... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I think the Harry Potter books and movies, they they fail on all accounts if you apply Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. And the Catholic Church does teach in paragraph 2116 that all forms of divination are to be rejected. Why? Why? Because divination is a recourse to Satan and demons. The church also teaches in 2117 of the catechism that all practices of magic or or sorcery uh, are intrinsically against church teaching and evil. 
So the church has weighed in on the themes of the Harry Potter books. The church has cl- has weighed in clearly on on what happens, uh, or or the or the the narrative of those books. Carl, I want to ask you about. I think a lot of young people, they're they're curious, they're malformed, they're immature, they don't have a properly formed moral conscience based on the Word of God, and so when they start reading occult literature, going to occult websites, they start going down the rabbit hole of the diabolic. They become focused on on the magic, the the, the divination, the witchcraft. They they become enamored by the by the phenomena, and that's exactly what the demon wants to do. They want to get a malformed Catholic. They want to draw him. Uh, you know, deeper and deeper into into this world by these parlor tricks. And so uh, the disordered curiosity by a lot of lay Catholics uh, with the occult, it, it, am I right when I say this can become an entry point for diabolical affliction? Yes or no? Well, it, I, 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 the only exception I'm going to take to your statement is the use of the word can. It will it will become an entry point. Um, it, it's the same way as, you know, methamphetamine is not a gateway drug. It's, <laughs> you're, you're in there. Um, this is like we were saying before, there's no such thing as dabbling. When you engage in the occult, it's de facto mortal sin. And when you enter the realm of mortal sin, when you step across that line of demarcation, you are in there, you're in his realm. And y- you have given up the the clarity of, of your faculties. You've given up right order because you've entered through sin. And so sin is the entrance into that. Um, it, it is as if the, you know, visualize the, the bar scene in star Wars with 50 doors. It doesn't matter what door you enter. You're still in that diabolical realm. And divination is a center, well-lit main entryway. Um, and you're in there. You're, you're on the dance floor. Kyle, uh, we this is the last segment. Do you know you've been doing this for twenty years? You've been helping out. You've been helping out exorcists as uh, their primary assistant for about twenty years. Uh, you know, two two giants in the field, Monsignor SF and, and Father Chad Ripperger. So, you you've worked with some of the giants in this country, and probably others. Uh, have you seen some of the cases? that have become diabolically afflicted as a result of reading occult literature, uh, even to include the Harry Potter books. Do you know of any cases? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. And so once again, it's not, uh, this is not something that's uncommon, right? When somebody starts dabbling in occult literature, this is, uh, not uncommon that they can get, uh, enmeshed and diabolically afflicted. Correct. You're exactly right, Jesse. And and I think one of the real things that we've got to look at with this, to see it as it really is and to see it the way we've seen it operative in cases. We've had women religious. We've even had priests where the Harry Potter literature was a factor in the possession. And here is where we see it is that um, it here's where we see it most often. And that is through literature like Harry Potter, which, number one, proposes that the ends can justify the means. Someone can engage in dark arts to effectuate or to bring out what it appears to be a good. Um, this is a grooming tool. 
it is a grooming tool whereby not only is authority questioned, but it's actually subverted and it is challenged. Um, it nurtures the spirit of rebellion that visits every single house. Um, young women who read this literature, young Catholic women, traditional Catholics, if they're having a problem with authority, um, as we're going through the Libra Cristo methodology that's laid out in the, in the book, um, we get to lesson four, whatever that lesson is with regard to authority. And the question is, did you ever read any of the Harry Potter literature? Almost 100% of the time we get a ping. Yeah, I'm aware of it or I read it because it is a nurturing of rebellion. It is of the spirit of rebellion. So it's used as a grooming tool by the satanic to shape the psychology of young people and in various ways, but there's the universe, one of the universal principles is this uh, authority. In four cases of priests, each and every one of them had a problem with their bishop, not the bishop individually, just the idea that they had to be obedient to a bishop, to anyone. They were, after all, uh, a priest and they should be answerable to no one. This was a, a low drumbeat of psychological compatibility. So the Harry Potter literature is a, is a grooming tool for the satanic. Powerful statement. And Kyle, the Harry Potter literature has given spinoffs to other books as well. Like I told you, uh, they're, they're now selling a book called The Unofficial Ultimate Harry Potter Spell Book. Uh, there's another book uh, on spells. And, uh, it's written for five to ten year olds. The book is called A Children's Book of Demons uh, by another author. And it's basically directs kids to conjure gentle demons by writing their sigils, which serve as a phone number straight to the spirit. Uh, and so the Harry Potter books has given birth and life to these other books that are now mainstream. You can buy them at Amazon and they're at, you know, they're at some of these major stores and uh, the average American sees nothing wrong with it. They think it's, you know, they just think it's something that's, uh, uh, you know, something that's well, stylish. You're, you're exactly right. I, uh, I'll just read from the, I'm going to read some actuals just on my bookshelf here. And you can understand that each one of these books is going to be, there's going to be a counterfeit of it. St. Joseph's Daily Missile, Handbook of Moral Theology, uh, Dominion, Father Chad Ripperger, Spiritual Combat, Psychology of the Saints, Sins of the Parents, um, the spirit, yet these are all of these books, Lives of the Saints. There's going to be, as this goes on, there's going to be counterfeit after counterfeit after counterfeit. And that brings me to a point is that we do not need to know the counterfeit. We need to know the authentic. A bank teller years ago when you and I were kids, right. uh, I don't know about you, but I was always mesmerized to watch a bank teller count money so fast. So quick and immediate what they would do is they'd be going through the bills and then they'd set one aside and then they'd keep counting. The reason they set it aside is it didn't feel right. They were yeah. so intimately acquainted with authentic currency that the inconsistency of the counterfeit triggered something in their sensory reaction. We have to be that way as Catholics. We, we have to be able to say that's not right. We don't have to explain it. But we have to know that's not consistent with my Catholic faith, with the practice of faith. That's not consistent. It may be currency. It may be foreign currency. In, in that case, it has to be exchanged into a Catholic norm, or, and there's an exchange rate. 
So the Protestants have quite a bit of truth. They don't have the fullness of truth. And so the idea that um, we can go ahead and spend that um, Canadian currency in the U.S., no, it has to be exchanged. It has to be brought into a norm. This is something that is a very good analogy is we have to be intimately familiar with the authentic. We don't have to know the counterfeit because the counterfeiter is always working. Father and I get requests all the time to come do presentations on the current occult. What are the things that are trending? We never take those invitations because the, the occult is changing. The demon is changing constantly uh, in his presentation, in his methodology. The principles are the same. All you have to know, you have to know the authentic. You have to know your faith. And what's inconsistent with it, Potter, the Potter literature doesn't even begin to be exchanged. It can't be exchanged into a norm because there is a failure in the principle. It is worthless with regard to the ends cannot justify the means, and you can't resort to divination under any and all circumstances. Therefore, the currency of the Potter literature, anything in there, any theme in there, can't be converted to a Catholic norm. And so it's a currency that's not going to be recognized. What you just said, I heard, I read in this one encyclical from Pope John Paul II years ago, uh, he, he said, or it was a homily or something, I'm going to have to look it up because I have it saved somewhere, where he said that it, don't, don't waste your time studying other cults or other religions, just study the Catholic faith and that way you'll be able to detect uh, truth from error. And I, I, he put it, I just kind of simplified it, but he said it in a longer way, spend your life studying the Catholic faith and know the Catholic faith. You don't have to know all the nuances of Hinduism and Buddhism and, and, and you know, Shintoism and Islam. If you know your Catholic faith, you're going to be able to de- detect frauds and forgeries. And so what, what I read, him, he, he said this like 30 years ago, you're saying the exact same thing, Kyle, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, if we know our Catholic faith, then we can uh, follow what Moses told the Levites. We can know the clean from the unclean, and that's that, right? That's exactly, that is that, is that. This has been definitively settled. What we need, one of the, the hallmarks of the, the satanic influence on this and, and the psychological compatibility with the diabolical is the vehement links to which people will go to defend it and the disrespect they show to primary voices in the church, such as Father Ripiger, Father Amorth, and others. Um, the disrespect, uh, the assumption of a par, the arrogance, uh, of an equivocation. This is one of the, the primary examples. And how do you know when someone has converted? It's when they don the sackcloth and ashes, say mea culpa, and say, please disregard what I have said on this subject. Kyle, that's a wrap, my friend. We're up against the clock. Thank you. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Keep the faith. See you next time. <laughs>